Welcome back, everyone, to the Frustrated Fans, where we're venting frustrations one franchise at a time. I'm Jeremy. I'm Pete. And today, in preparation for our 50th episode, we're going to review the finale of a pop culture hit that dealt with the main character jumping between three different time periods, having to stop the annihilation of the entire universe. That's right, folks. We're going to be covering all good things. The final storyline of Bob and George the comic strip. Are you ready, Pete? Wait, what? Yeah. No, that, no, that, we're not. Yeah, that was that was, you know, all good things. That is that is the name of it. That was what we were saying we were doing. All good things. No, we're not. Oh, oh, right. That other big pop culture phenomenon. All good things. Oh, right. Star Trek: The Next Generation. Yeah, that. Although, it's kind of ironic since you and I kind of found each other in the Sprite comic universe. Yes, this is true. That's a story for another day. (laughs) Today we're going to be covering All Good Things, the series finale of Star Trek The Next Generation, which first aired 23rd of May, 1994. It was written by Ronald D. Moore and Brandon Braga, and was directed by Winrick Colby? I would probably say Colby. Colby. Oh, it's interesting. Um, I can remember as a kid when this was coming out, and I remember starting to watch it, but uh, you and I are on the same age. I'm sure you had a bedtime at the the time, and uh, a three-hour TV special with commercials. Yeah, went past my bedtime. I didn't watch this until right when we had to prep for this. I remember seeing a... I swear I saw pieces of this when I was a kid, but 90, no, I think, yeah, I was still into Star Trek in 94, or maybe I wasn't, but I remember watching pieces of it, I just didn't know it was the finale of the show, and so then years later, um, I finally just, like, watched through, I watched through, like, the entire show, and then saw this as the series finale, and every time I rewatch it, I always make a point to watch this episode. It's compared. We have to mention this. Like the original series, never got its uh, got a finale. It went no, three seasons and got canceled. And then and eventually the movie. And its came. final epi- And its final episode sucked. Yeah. But they finally got a good send off with the sixth movie. Right. Which was nice. About twenty years later. Yeah, but still. They at least got their big send-off on the big screen, and it's considered one of the best Star Trek movies, period. Oh, so. I'm not denying that. But yeah. every other Trek series to follow, and no, we're not counting the animated series, would have a series finale. Admittedly, I would, it's fair to say TNG and DS9 probably ended fairly strongly when they were at ratings, maybe not at their peak, but definitely were going along. Voyager and Enterprise, not so much. <laughs> Yeah, and just like, if you look at each of the four finales, they actually decrease in quality with each show, where TNG is the best one. DS9's finale is really good up until the last 10 to 15 minutes. And then it basically, they kind of, it felt like they rushed to close out this storyline that wasn't very good in the first place, and then it kind of just ends the episode on kind of a weird note. Um, actually, if you stop watching the DS9 finale right before... Uh, I just, I'm just i not going to say what happens, but if you stop watching it right before Cisco flies back to Bajor, uh, you will be way more satisfied than if you finish watching it. <laughs> um, otherwise, it's a really, really good finale with amazing moments throughout it. And it comes off at after about an eight-episode arc. So they really ramped up to get that episode to get that episode in the story. Whereas with Voyager, the series finale comes out of nowhere. It has random plot developments that start and end in that episode, such as the ridiculously stupid Chakotay Seven of Nine pairing that made no sense. And, and uh, no, I'm, that's not a spoiler because it's just stupid and comes out of nowhere. And Janeway's future well, self comes back to the past to, and ignoring paradoxes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah there's fun. The, it's a dawn. I mean, the action in it is at least fun, but other than that, it's just kind of stupid. Um, and then the Enterprise finale, 
<laughs> which is uh, that made fans angry. Oh yeah, that was basically a Next Generation episode that just happened to feature the cast from Star Trek right. Enterprise. Somehow they got um, Jonathan Frakes and Marina Marina Sirte, yeah. and they even got Brent Spiner to do an audio uh, a voiceover moment where he calls up Troy on the uh, intercom. <laughs> And, uh, yeah, it's just the whole episode, and, again, you can't spoil something that's rotten. It's just a holodeck sim run by Riker. Yep. Oh. It, it, which, in which he interacts with, and thus, I didn't even think about this until I saw SF Debris' review. He mentions Riker interacts with the characters, which then affects things that happen in the simulation. So, essentially, he's just playing a game. It's not even really what happened. And we're like, Trouble with Tribbles, the Redux in DS9, that was actually a good send-up. Yep. Nah. Nope. And the episode literally ends, the last, aside from the last second, like, the last few seconds of the episode are good because they show all three Enterprises, well, the three TV show Enterprises, with doing the Space the Final Frontier speech where it goes Picard, Kirk and then Archer to finish it and it ends with the NXL one flying off. And that was actually really good, a really good way to close it out. If you ignore the 25 or the uh, 44 minutes that came before it. <laughs> but right before that, the episode basically ends with Riker just saying computer and program. And he and Troy walk out to the holodeck. Oh, it's bad. Yeah, it, it's pretty bad. This one, however, is not. No. It's got some flaws, let's be honest here. There's a couple logic flaws. There's a couple of eh, weird ideas that were carryovers from the rest of the season because season seven is weird. Well, we'll get, we'll get to that. <laughs> it's weird. I, I think yes. there's sometime I want to do the episode where that like alien, primitive alien sun and moon culture is taking over the Enterprise. God, mass? Yeah, that one. Oh, God, no. <laughs> that episode is so bad. It's so boring. This could be a Voyager episode. Oh, oh yeah, I went there, nerds. Last time when we talked about Encounter at Farpoint, we talked about like where Star Trek was at the time. And this is seven years after that. And unlike in 1987, where Star Trek had just started breaking back into pop culture with thanks to the massive success of Star Trek IV and the beginning of TNG. Now, at this point in 1994, uh, three years prior, it celebrated its 25th anniversary with the sixth movie, which was the final movie based on the original series, as well as a two-parter on TNG to help promote it, which featured Spock and Sarek in it. DS9 was already in its second season, and a new spinoff, Star Trek Voyager, was going to begin the next year with basically the seeds of it planted in TNG and DS9 with the Maquis storyline. And since the original cast had gotten their send-off, as well as getting to be more and more expensive for additional movies, as well as much older, TNG was set to take its place with its own film with the seventh Star Trek movie. And that would become what was known as Generations, which would help bridge the two. Yep. Time periods. And eh, maybe in its own episode the other day, but short version, I don't mind that movie. I actually think it's okay. It's overall, it's just kind of messy. There's a lot of random plot stuff that happens in it. The, it has its good, mo unlike the worst of the worst of the TNG movies, which we'll, we'll talk about that at some point. It actually has some really good moments. Uh, one of my favorite moments from that actually was when Kirk and Picard are talking and Kirk says to him, Captain of the Enterprise. That's right. Close to retirement? I'm not planning on it. Well, let me tell you something. Don't. Don't let them promote you. Don't let them transfer you. Don't let them do anything that takes you off the bridge of that ship because while you're there, you can make a difference. And honestly, we're, while the quality of those movies outside of First Contact is subject to question, I'd like to think that was the reason why Picard stayed a captain through the movies and probably through later on in like the fiction you know, and expanded universe stuff because of that speech from Kirk. Possible. Um, I, that's a good dream to dream in. Yep. 
I mean, it's my only way of trying to make sense of some of the stuff that happened, of some of the choices in those movies. <laughs> we'll get to what's changed in TNG now from season one and from the earlier stuff after our first break. I just finished the neurographic scan. Didn't find anything that would cause hallucinations or a psychogenic reaction. Is there any indication of temporal displacement? No. Usually a temporal shift would leave some sort of tryptamine residue in the cerebral cortex, but the scan didn't show any. Personally, I think you just enjoy waking everybody up in the middle of the night. Actually, I really like running around the ship in my bare feet. All right. When we covered, again, the last episode we covered was the very first episode of the show. And actually, all we've really covered from TNG so far has been season one stuff. So this is pretty far ahead now, well, as far ahead as you can get. <laughs> and the biggest changes, you know, from where we left off were Worf got promoted to chief, chief of security and Tasha died near the end of the first season. And Jordy became the chief engineer. And starting in season three, the uniforms changed much for the better. There was also a lot of behind-the-scenes shakeups in terms of writing staff and production crew for this series. Um, starting with season three, Michael Piller entered in as head writer after Maurice Hurley, who actually is credited with creation of the Borg, as well as a lot of other, as well as some terrible stuff, such as, uh, from what I understand, he was one of the causes of Gates McFadden quitting in season two. And he also is credited for writing some of the really bad episodes of the show, such as the season two finale with Shades of Grey, which was just a clip show. On the other hand, Michael Piller is heavily credited with helping to turn the show around a lot of the very good stuff that happened in season three. And he even wrote the best of both worlds two-parter, which is considered like one of the best episodes of the series. Absolutely. I mean, I actually got to see a special edition of that in theaters, and that was really cool. Yeah. And so, yeah, so basically Pillar is to thank for a lot of the positive changes that happened in um, TNG starting in season three. And he would eventually go on to write and produce for Deep Space Nine and Voyager. And he actually wrote Star Trek Insurrection. And other staple other staples of the 90s Trek, uh, such as Ronald D. Moore and Brandon Braga would join the writing team with Moore going on to write for DS9, and Braga went on to write and produce for Voyager and Enterprise. And both of them actually co-wrote All Good Things and co-wrote the first two Next Generation movies, Generations and First Contact. It's also important to note that pretty much every major cast member at some point was also working behind the scenes, not just yep. in the interpretation of their character. Uh, Patrick Stewart once asked for a few more actions episode, and that's how we got the Riza. Uh, Rise of Vacation episode, but pretty much all of them at one point or another directed at least one episode, some yeah. more than one. Yeah, I know um, with actually the second to last episode of the show, I believe was directed by Patrick Stewart, who also has a large role in the episode. And Jonathan Frakes would go on to direct a lot of the episodes. He would end up directing episodes of I think he I know he directed a few episodes of Voyager. I believe he directed at least a few episodes of DS9. Um and he directed Insurrection and First Contact. Correct. And also um LeVar Burton would go on to direct multiple multiple episodes of each of the uh spin-off shows, including some of the really good episode uh later episodes of Star Trek Enterprise which included one of the episodes with Brent Spiner showing up, so the two of them actually got to reunite to work on an episode again. That said, Season 7 of TNG is kind of weird. It's It gets a little out there, and had they not ended it when they did it, we probably would have seen the show go out more with a whimper than the triumphant end it did have. Yeah, there were some, there were some really good season seven episodes, such as the Pegasus, which actually that was the episode that got repurposed for the finale of Enterprise. Uh, the real episode is actually very good, and Preemptive Strike, which is the second to last episode of the show, which um, closed up the story with Ro Laren. But you could also tell they were running out of ideas because you had at least three episodes deal with long lost relatives. And then One you of had them episode with- masks. <laughs> and then we had the episode Mass. <laughs> Which is weird. I mean, yeah. it is 
and it's dumb. And there is an episode where Worf's son Alexander comes back from the future to prevent, to change his past and make sure he grows up to be a warrior. And it's a actually not a bad episode. Marty, we've got to get you back to the future. (laughs) (laughs) There's also a relationship that gets started in season seven. Uh, And you might be thinking, oh, it's between Riker and Troy because they were building to that. Or maybe it's between Picard and Beverly because they were kind of building to that. Nope, it's between Worf and Troy because that made the uh, least amount of sense. Yeah. And I will say the episode that kind of sparked it, Parallels, was really fun because it was Worf jumping between alternate timelines. And that was actually quite fun. Yeah, um, even though so, they would erase this continuity, what, in the last movie with Rikers and Troy's freaking wedding, so. Yeah, which actually, this is the only time, this is the last time we see anything about this, because when Worf moved on to DS9, he ends up getting married in that show. And then his wife dies. Yeah, his family doesn't, his family gets the shaft in <laughs> Right. Let's see. Let's see. In TNG, his birth parents are killed. His birth parents were killed. The woman he does fall in love with, who is the mother of Alexander, is brutally killed and dies in front of him and Alexander. Uh, Alexander, instead of wanting to grow up to be a warrior, doesn't know what the hell he wants to do, and that kind of disappoints him. His foster brother basically commits treason against the Federation by violating the Prime Directive repeatedly. His brother does. His actual brother, Kern, does get to be at a high point in the Klingon Empire until season four of DS9, where Worf turns against Galron because Galron's lost his mind, and he strips everything away from Worf's family. So Kern shows up drunk and wants Worf to kill him, and the episode ends with Kern having his memory wiped so he can go live with a different Klingon family. It makes sense in context. Alexander tries to grow up to be a warrior, but it ends up kind of being more of a bumbler. He finally does marry someone who dies only a few months after the wedding. And then, and because she's a trill, the, the symbiote in her is implanted in another woman who he's not sure if he actually has feelings for. And that's a more complicated story we won't be going into. Safe to say, Worf's personal life is really complicated and messed up. So and it even gets worse in the books because at the end of DS9, I think you told me he effectively becomes the Klingon ambassador, which is what his not wife was doing, right? Yep. And in the books, they erase that and make him the first officer of the Enterprise. <laughs> <sighs> this is so. allegedly after Data's death. At the, yeah. But we'll get to that another time. Yep. So. All Good Things starts off with, oh, with Troy and Worf on a date. And Man. they're a little worried about, well, Worf is naturally concerned because he doesn't want Riker to kill him in his sleep. Yeah. <laughs> well, it was, this actually does make sense in greater context because throughout the show, you see that Worf has a massive amount of loyalty to both Picard and Riker. And to the point where in an episode where Worf's spine gets broken essentially and he's paralyzed from the waist down he Riker is the one he goes to and says essentially my life is over I want you to kill me and I'm asking you because you're my friend and I trust you basically it's a Klingon thing yeah they do that so yeah but there's a lot of moments throughout the show where the two of them where Worf shows a lot of loyalty to Riker and vice versa so at least this does make sense this part makes sense and right, he's worried about his friend's opinion and yeah. I was like eh whatever and the fact that Riker has been, like, wanting to be with Troy throughout the whole show and gets immensely jealous every time she dates someone in the random episode that she finds a one-off boyfriend. Oh, God. There are so many one-off uh, boyfriends and girlfriends in this show. <laughs> Everywhere. Oh, yeah. So. Yep. So, all of a sudden, though, Picard runs up and... Right as they're about to kiss, and we can see that even Picard doesn't want this pairing to happen because he speaks for the fans. Cockwalk. <laughs> so he asks what star date it is and says he's been moving back and forth through time. And teaser. That's After- an interesting way to start us off. 
Yeah, especially for the final episode of the show, it's, oh, okay. Well, and I almost want to make a Doctor Who joke about this, but it's not quite appropriate. And I probably won't get it. Yeah. <laughs> so, after the opening credits, Picard... And we find Picard talking with Troy, which you think after seven seasons, he'd know that she's probably the last person to go speak with if you have a problem. Oh, shots fired. <laughs> Hang on, I'm reloading. You continue. He, yeah, he basically tells Troy that every time he gets close to some sort of answer of what's going on, he time shifts. And then we see it. He goes to the... We see it in the future where... Jordy now is visiting Picard on his family's vineyard in France. Unfortunately, when Jordy shows up, he doesn't go, Welcome to the world of tomorrow! Well, no, Futurama hadn't been made yet. <laughs> and then, Well, in that time it would have. They're in the 24th century. They would have heard of it. Yes, thank you. And then after they talk a bit, and Picard's like, Where am I? And when am I? And he, we ship back to the past with him and Tasha Yar. And he's understandably confused how uh, someone dead is still alive and realizes he's in the past. And credit to the design team here, they actually went out of their way to re, kind of uh, create recreate some of the looks in season one. Like Worf yep. in a red shirt with the gold thing instead of the silver thing around his Yep. Yeah, they have the old costumes. Um, I think they tried going with like some of the camera angles they use on the bridge and things like that. They try to make it look more like the first season. Um, I know they did a little bit of set redressing too for those scenes. Well, they have this one. They have one bridge, one bridge set they're going to use for both past, present, and future, and then it gets completely destroyed for the movie. <laughs> yep. And we'll continue with the plot summary after our second break. If you're really his friend, you'll get him to take that grey out of his hair. Jessel. Looks like a bloody skunk. <laughs> she can be frightfully trying at times, but she does make me laugh. Theta, what is it with the hair anyway? Well, I found that a touch of grey adds an air of distinction. Welcome to the podcast of tomorrow! Shut up, Jeremy. <laughs> oh. Basically, this episode is Picard going through each timeline separately, and he keeps jumping in and out, and he's trying to figure out naturally why. Yeah. And I actually like when he jumps back to the present and we get Dr. Crusher scanning him, and she actually has a way to scan and see if he's been time traveling. Hey, I think it's funny crap. that... Yeah, well, I just think it's funny at this point, they're so used to this crap that they're like, okay, we got to figure out a way to scan people and see if they've actually gone through time. And well, I, I, I actually really like this moment where uh, she says, I think you just like waking everyone up in the middle of the night. And Picard <laughs> goes... Actually, if you to be truthful, I like running through the ship in my bare feet. That was yeah. <laughs> there, there's a lot of little moments like this in the episode, and I, I really like them. Yeah. Um. So we finally get some sort of answer when Picard gets contacted by an admiral in the middle of the night. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, basically, there's a time anomaly in the Devron system, which is on the Romulan border. Or neutral zone, whatever you want to call it. Yep. And hey, Romulans are fun, so yeah, we're, let's go investigate. Ruh-ro! We got a mystery to solve, gang! <laughs> Again, we keep going back and forth. And Picard's... Uh, naturally, each person, each crew in each timeline, they're not really convinced Picard's all there. When it comes to the past timeline, uh, again, the whole time anomaly shows up, and Picard deliberately disobeys orders. <laughs> um, yeah, they're ordered to go check it out. He's like, no, we'll continue to Farpoint. And they all look at him like, wait, what? Dude, Romulans. Yeah. And I like how Worf is the one to speak about Romulans, because whenever the Romulans do something, Worf just has to shout about it. Huh. 
Yeah, especially in DS9 where they constantly have uh, dealings with the Romulans and one of my favorite moments where they find out that the Romulans signed a non-aggression pact with the Dominion and Worf just in the middle of a meeting when they find this out punches the desk and goes, Romulans, I always knew they were without honor. <laughs> yeah, well, he kind of changes his mind for Nemesis, but that's another story. I do like it, though, that in the present, they're more willing to believe him, especially after, at one point, Beverly just scans him and goes, huh, your brain has accumulated over a day's worth of information two seconds after I scanned you. Okay, now I believe you. Well, uh, to be fair, the present and somewhat in the future, they're willing to give him the benefit of the doubt, but even Picard realizes in the past, if he starts going really Looney Tunes, yeah, he's going to be removed from duty. Yeah. And I do like the fact that they do point out that what he does in each part doesn't affect the other time periods, uh-huh. which then actually helps because otherwise in the future they'd be like, oh, right, when that happened on the ship, so you are jumping through time. This is when you're supposed to show up and everything. So it's good that they don't know about it, so it actually adds a little bit of conflict into the episode. So the other thing Picard is dealing with besides all this time switching is he starts hallucinating. Or does he? Uh, He starts seeing people he first saw seven years ago at the trial during the original Farpoint mission. Um, No, unfortunately, he doesn't see the midget with the cowbell. I miss him. I know, I know. On the on the plus side, he doesn't see the Asian stereotype guy either. Yes, that is a plus. But, uh, yeah, it, it becomes pretty apparent in the episode. Cue's up to something. So. Mm. so, I do like when um, Picard's in the future and he and Jordy go to see Data... And we get data with the goofy, uh, fake, like, white, whitish gray hair streak. And I like the fact that instead of just saying, like, oh, he's older and his hair can change, it's he purposefully did it, and data's own housekeeper points out that he looks like a damn skunk. Yeah. And Jordy even goes, really, data, what is up with your hair? Well, to be fair, they had, this is not a new thing for data. He's experimented with other facial reconstructions. Things in the past. They're, one I, of my I, favorite I, moments in the entire show um, mm-hmm. is just that there's a brief episode, brief bit in one episode where Dave is experimenting with, with a beard, and just watching the actor uh, Troy and Jordy, and likely their actors trying to contain <laughs> laughter at it. <laughs> yeah, uh, funny. See, See, I like it when Data tries, um, like, kind of playful insults, and Jordy's like, hey, Data, can you get that scanner for me? He goes, of course, you lunghead. And he's like, what? Yes, you lunghead. Data, what are you doing? <laughs> the fact that every time he does stuff like that, they look at him like, what are you, insane? Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, D- Data is known for doing weird, goofy stuff like this. I-, I do like something when Picard jumps into the past, too where he's talking to Tasha and Worf, and he orders Worf to set up a security alert. And Tasha's like, hey, I'm the chief of security. And Picard's like, oh, right, I forgot. You've been dead for six years. Oh, right, I forgot how bad you are at your job. (laughs) Yeah, that too. He might have been thinking, well, Tasha's the security chief, but Worf is competent. And also another thing I really like is he takes Chief O'Brien down to the main engineering where they point out there is no chief engineer. I would also like to point out, why is the ship broken when they just left dry dock? Honestly, this is one of those episodes with, I do like the different time periods and what they do. If you if you jump into this episode partway through, you're not going to know what the hell is going on. No. I'd just like to point that out. It is a very hard to follow episode. If you didn't start watching it from the beginning. And part of that is by design. You know, they try to make it a little bit confusing because they don't want the viewer to, to figure out everything. But it does make it a little bit hard to follow. And they finally go to, when they go to the future, again, we actually get to see that Beverly Picard is the captain of a ship. Yeah, Picard. Mm-hmm. Yep, apparently they were married at some point. Well, and she decided to keep his name. Okay. Yeah, again, the books. <laughs> um, are a part of this too because um, 
the in the books not only do Beverly and Picard get over their awkwardness around each other, they uh <laughs> they start having kids, even though Yeah. To boldly go where no man has gone before. Well, at least Jack Crusher. To boldly go where only one man has gone before. Oh wait, and that ghost in that one episode. Moving on. We see uh, the, the future crew. No, so Beverly's the captain of a hospital ship. Riker is an admiral, but also the captain of the Enterprise. Picard is re- now a former ambassador and now just retired and apparently suffering some sort of mental degradation, which is why yep. they don't necessarily outright believe him. Yeah, I do like um, a scene where after Picard leaves, uh, Dot, or Captain Picard... Captain Beverly Picard looks to Data and Jordy and goes, you know, what do you think? And they're a little unconvinced. And she says that she's hesitant too. Uh, I really like the line she gives is, but he's Jean-Luc Picard. And if he wants to go on one more adventure, then that's what we're going to do. Mm -hmm. Oh, and we find out Troy's dead. No. Yep. And nothing of value is lost. Oh. (laughs) I finished reloading. Yeah, apparently you did. Uh, Worf is was on the Klingon High Council at one point, but apparently he fell out of favor and is now just the governor of a minor territory. It happens. But he's still a badass. Yep. And we do finally find out what's going on when we go to the past and Picard shouts for Q to show himself when they reach the spot where they first met him. And suddenly, Picard's in the courtroom, and Q appears as the judge. And Picard asks, what the hell is going on? And Q says, I will give you ten yes or no questions. If you violate that, you forfeit the rest of your questions. And we get a pretty fun little moment, actually, where as Picard asks the different questions, and he goes, is it a Romulan plot, a ploy to start a war? And he goes, no and no. You have five left. I've only asked four. Is it a Romulan plot? A ploy to start a war? Those are two separate questions. <laughs> and Picard asks, is this related to the trial from seven years ago? Yes. And after he forfeits his questions because he asked why. Well, he, uh, he Picard shows frustration with Q at right. Admits that yeah. the whole time jumping is Q's doing. Yep. And he goes, Why? He goes, oh, sorry, that's not a yes or no question. You forfeit the rest of them. Damn it, Trebek. The, tri- <laughs> yep. the trial never ended, Picard, and we've reached a verdict. You're guilty. He says that Picard's going to be responsible for the destruction of all humanity. Not Q, not the Romulans, Picard himself. Huh. We'll get back to what happens with Picard and Old Wharf after another break. Do you really think he's moving through time? I'm not sure I do either. But he's Jean-Luc Picard, and if he wants to go on one more mission, that's what we're going to do. So Picard speaks with Old Worf, and Old Worf goes, No, I'm not letting you go into the neutral zone and get off my lawn! Uh, Yeah, I need to bring up something here. Uh, We find out... In the future, not only has the Klingon Empire, um, it, its relations with the Federation aren't exactly positive at the moment. They're uh, more kind of a Cold War kind of thing. Uh, Klingons managed to get their crap together and take over the Romulan Empire. What? <laughs> I'd like to say, actually, also, something like this ends up coming to pass in Season 4 of DS9, where... The Klingons believe that Cardassia is be, has, their government has been overthrown and they're going to be under the control of the Dominion, and so they end up destroying like half the Cardassian Empire. Oops. They just burst in and just start wrecking shit, and they pretty much take over. And inadvertently, that's what drives Cardassia to join the Dominion. So Klingons, uh, they like blowing stuff up and then cause problems by blowing stuff up. Um, to be fair, it's mostly to each other that they like to blow each other up. But Yeah, that does happen. Maybe one day we'll cover that storyline, too. Maybe. 
Maybe when I'm out of grad school. <laughs> I have time. Oh. Yeah, and I... This is one of the, there's a lot of really good moments in this episode. This is one of them where Worf first says, like, you know, this is for your own protection. Don't go there. I have to adhere to regulations. And Picard, even though he's been a little out of it this episode, because he's been getting thrown off by getting sent to each time period. I love this moment where he says, well, I know that I am an old man and I am out of touch. But the wharf that I remember was more concerned with things like honor and loyalty than rules and regulations. Oh, he said the H word. <laughs> yep. But that was a long time ago. And maybe you're not the wharf I once knew. Wharf then gets pissed off and knocks some stuff over and goes, you have always used your knowledge of Klingon honor and tradition to get what you want from me. Because it always works, wharf. Yeah. Yeah, it kind of yeah. does. And it works this time, too. I would like to point out that in the weird version that's up on Amazon, I believe it's the two-part syndicated, this part got cut out! Yeah, I watched this on Netflix, and as far as I understand, it's the original version. Yeah, that we get up until... We don't get the line of him saying, because it always works, Worf. We actually have Worf just say, you always use your knowledge of Klingon honor and tradition, and he goes, fine, but I will join you. And then they cut away. Like, are you kidding me? You cut out one of the best lines of the episode! Oh, I was so pissed when they cut this out. This is one of my favorite moments, and that's how I knew they cut this. Uh, so, they then cut back to early, you know, to the past, and I like how they get out of having Riker in the episode, where they use some stock footage of him on a view screen where Picard tells them that they can't go to Farpoint and pick him up, which also brings us to another positive, means they don't go there to pick up Wesley. Thank God. Well, uh, well, Wesley had a very brief bit in Season 7 where he was part of Starfleet, and then he resigned and went off in with his space buddy. And then he goes off with a weird, creepy space guy. He had free candy on the side of his starship. It was hard to resist. <laughs> with his windowless starship. Oh God. <laughs> hey, your mom said I should come and get you. She's real sick. I need an adult! I'm an adult. Come on, man. <laughs> hey, I lost my dog. Do you like candy? Well, uh, no. It's basically the plot of Insurrection only with Wesley. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> with the card on the other side of things. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, back in the present, we actually get another part that was chopped up in the syndicated part. And no, I'm not going to be uh, getting over that anytime soon. Because we get Picard talking to Captain Tomalock, who is actually a major adversary in season three. And he goes, how long are we just going to stare at each other across the neutral zone? So Picard says, hey, how about your ship and my ship? Go check out the anomaly. And Tomalock asks, has Starfleet approved this proposal? No. I like it already. <laughs> I like that part. And they cut it out! Yeah, that's kind of a... I mean, it's a minor scene, but it just shows that, you know what? Screw the rules, I have a starship. Yeah. Well, it shows that Picard has learned better ways to deal with the Romulans and knows, like, hey, this is bigger than all of us. Screw it. Let's just go. And... I would also like to point out, in a bit of a plot hole, Tomalock never shows up at the Anomaly. Huh. No, he doesn't. They, they actually forget about them for the rest of the episode. It's kind of weird. Eh. Either that or he was like, screw that, I'll let Picard take the chance, and if, it, and if he ends up doing something good, then yay, I'll say it was my brilliant idea, and if he screws up, I'll say the Federation tried to destroy us. Which actually would work as a Romulan plot. Let the Federation... Ah, okay, that's why he didn't yeah. show up. So let I'm the Federation go. take the uh... take the risk. Okay, yeah, that that would work. Yeah, I like that. Okay, never mind. All right, yay! Pothole filled. Sort of. Whatever. <laughs> we filled it. Anyway, back in the future, uh, we get to see the future version of the Enterprise, which is badass and blows up Klingon ships as if they were paper. Because Riker's a badass. Uh, something like that. Yeah. <laughs> and this is one of those moments where, the moment where he, at, or Picard asks Q. So, 
eventually, what we find out at certain points, all three ships have been scanning either where the like where the anomaly is supposed to be. We find out in the future it's actually not there yet. Yet, so they find out. But they use these techno babble beams, which I don't remember what the name is. Like anti tachyon beam or some techno babble bullcrap. Um, and all three of the ships that scanned it were the ones who create and cause the anomaly. Picard was the one who gave the order to do all three. That is why he is the one who destroys humanity. Right. Basically, some techno babbles that uh, this, ta- this cascading anti-time uh, flies back in through time and disrupts the uh, beginning of human uh, well evolution of any life on on planet yep. Earth. Yeah, and actually, I'm going to say the entire galaxy because that anomaly. Q takes Picard back to like before anything existed on Earth, and they can easily see the anomaly there. That thing started off in the neutral zone near the Romulans. I'm going to assume it killed off all the Romulans too. Mm. So there is a bit of a plot hole because the future Enterprise Enterprise flies back to find the anomaly has just formed. But if the thing forms backwards in time, how could they find it just formed after they created it? You know what? It does make no. While this makes no sense, this I mean, this whole concept is kind of goofy. So it doesn't really matter. And Data does figure out how to collapse it, but it involves all three Enterprises going inside and using inverse warp fields to collapse that. Oh. does it? Technobabble doesn't matter. So all three fly in, and one by one, each of the Enterprises blow up. And just before the future Enterprise starts to explode, Q appears one last time and taunts Picard and says, Goodbye, Jean-Luc. I'm going to miss you. You had such potential. But then again, all good things must come to an end. Title drop! And of course, no. It's not the no. best sad ending. Yep. They save humanity. Picard asks you, is the, is the anomaly gone? Is my ship okay, my crew? And Q taunts him one last time. He goes, God, the anomaly, my ship, my crew. I'm sure the next thing you're going to ask about is your fish. Well, it would be. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, Q says, like, yes, you did it. And Q states that the test itself was concocted by the Q Continuum. But the little helping and assistance, that was Q's idea. Because seven years later, Q has gone from being the accuser and condemner of humanity to kind of being more of its silent advocate. And even though he does like to tease Picard and them from time to time, he's, he actually is on their side at this point. And, and then he goes and tries to seduce Janeway. <laughs> Well, she's not Picard. No. <laughs> yeah. No, nowhere even close. And it has nothing to do with the fact that they're different genders. But I, going back to the one good part you remembered of the pilot, Q starts floating away and basically echoes Picard's final words and says, see you out there. And I really like that part. And I'm sure you really like that part too, yeah. right? Yeah, I did. <laughs> I was. This is um, this is John Delancey's last time as Q in any TNG related media. Media, and I always kind of was bummed about that. I kind of wanted to see him, at the very least, a cameo in the movie. That would have been nice. Like hell, they could even just put him as a background cameo in Nemesis at the wedding, like blink and you miss it kind of thing. That would have been great. <laughs> Um, and so we find out Picard is the only one who remembers everything that happened, but he tells everyone anyway, because screw the temporal prime directive, this is more fun. And we get one final poker game with the gang, with one last funny comment, where as Riker wins for like the upteenth time, Worf goes, how does he always win? And Riker just says, I cheat. And then Data glares at him, they all kind of look at him, he goes, what? I'm I'm kidding. No, I, I actually believe he cheats. Yeah. <laughs> it's Riker. <laughs> yep. <laughs> so Picard then joins them, and he actually says, I should have done this years ago. 
and it ends the final episode, the final line of the show. He goes, five card stud, nothing wild, and the sky's the limit. So if there's no money in the future, what do they bet with? Uh, just for fun and okay. chips. I mean, that's fair. But Well, to be fair, there is money in the future. The Federation just doesn't use any of it. Uh, they actually they actually bring this up in DS9, and um, the character Nog, who's a Ferengi, calls out Jake Sisko, and he's like, "Look, it's not my fault. Your species set aside a monetary system for some better, like you know, for some little hippy dippy thing." And Jake Sisko's like, "Hey, there's nothing wrong with our philosophy. We work to better ourselves and humanity." And Nog goes, "What does that even mean?" And he goes, "It means we don't need money." Well, if you don't need money, then you don't need mine. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And then we'll get to our opinions of the episode after one final break. Hey, what was that she said, Sonny? I couldn't quite hear her. Q, what is going on here? Where is the anomaly? Where's your mommy? Well, I don't know. Answer me. There is an answer, Jean-Luc, but I can't hand it to you, although you do have help. What help? You're not alone, you know. What you were and what you are to become will always be with you. My time shifting. The answer does lie there, doesn't it? Now, tell me one thing. This anomaly we're looking for, will that destroy humanity? You're forgetting, Jean-Luc. You destroy humanity. All right, so it's now been... Holy crap, it's been almost 22 years since this episode came out. And Patrick Stewart still doesn't age. No. (laughs) He doesn't. Well, he is a mutant. Oh. Uh. Uh. He found the same uh, fountain of eternal life that Ming-Na found. Probably. (laughs) So, 22 episodes later, or 22 episodes, 22 years later, how does this episode hold up? It's a good series. Um, Huh? It's a good, it's good. It's amazing. It is still one of the best in the entire franchise, honestly. And, yeah, there's a few little plot holes here and there, but doesn't really matter because everything else is so well done. The characterization is great. The acting is fantastic. It's a fun last adventure for this crew before they fly off into the sunset at the end of their show. The directing is really good. Like I said, there's a lot of little good touches and moments that makes you really, you know, realize how far this series came in seven years. You know, it makes, it feels like they're a family now. And, just like those little moments, like I said, with Beverly just teasing him and saying, I think you just like waking us up in the middle of the night and things like that. And, yeah, Braga and Moore actually said that they wrote this at the exact same time they wrote Generations. And you can tell, I think they put just a little more effort into this. <laughs> and yeah, I, I yeah. did. don't disagree with that. But Generations was... <laughs> yeah, it... It's 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 a thing. Yeah. Um but yeah, this is this is the best series finale for any of the Trek shows oh, and it's awesome. I will rewatch this episode whenever I want to see something great from this series. Well, actually, again, this is the first time I've seen this episode. Um I don't know, I've just never gotten around to watching it before now. And that being said, yeah. It's a good way to round things out, end it with grace, and before things got bad, essentially. There are there plot holes? Yeah. Um, but it's, hey, I, I like it. And it became fodder. It came, like we started off this episode, it be, its plot, plot was original for a series finale and became... Uh, referenced in a few different places. Yeah, this became like this was something from TNG that invaded pop culture and was used in 
a lot of other media, not just the Pop and George comic strip, which I think that's even more niche now that I think about it. Well, Sprite Chronic community has long fallen apart. Oh, God. Yeah. So, Pete, where can they find us on the internet? Well, we live at frustratedpodcast.com, and we're on iTunes. You can always get a hold of us with our email contacts on our website. And we love reviews, we love comments. Hey, send them our way, and we always like fan feedback. And no, Pete's not exaggerating. We really do live on the frustratedpodcast.com. I have my own little room in the uh, episode archive. Wait, what? <laughs> yeah, so, that all that being said... Our next episode is episode 50. It's How did we make it to 50? Holy crap. Uh, well, I'd say lots of booze, but I don't drink. so uh, that's not... I do. Okay. Well, you drank enough for the two of us, I guess. <laughs> Even then, I don't drink that much. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think so. certain episodes would have been a lot more uh, interesting, had you. <laughs> do you mean gargoyles? <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, it's Scooby Doo. We would have, we would have gotten to the end of that and we're like, so Oberon shows up. And he just like you would have been plastered by the end of that thing. Oh my gosh. Like we we've had some good times. We've had some weird times. We've had some Scooby times. Well we said bad entries and good franchises is our theme. And uh So Next time, there is no entry worse in a good franchise. Well, there probably are worse ones. Uh, I mean, the Star Wars Don't make a big statement like that if you're not ready to back that up. Uh, This is true. The Star Wars prequels are a thing. Yeah. Episode 1 may become... That may have to be like our episode 100 or something. (laughs) Jill just went down your spine, didn't it? I'd I'd rather rewatch episode 1 than episode 3. Uh, so for our fifth, speaking of episodes, for our 50th episode, we are going to cover and review and complain about (laughs) and rip apart Star Trek Nemesis. Nemesis. Still say Insurrection's worse. The Continuum didn't think you had it in you, Jean-Luc. But I knew you did. You're saying that it worked. We collapsed the anomaly. Is that all this meant to you? Just another spatial anomaly, just another day at the office. Did it work? Well, you're here, aren't you? You're talking to me, aren't you? What about my crew? The anomaly, my ship, my crew. I suppose you're worried about your fish, too. 